When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there, and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. I'm your other host, not to be confused with Adam Russell. My name's <laughs> Nick Gambarian. Hello. How are you? And I am your <laughs> fill-in host, yet again. Man, I'm just hoping I just keep showing up to band practice and eventually just be like, well, <laughs> his stuff's already here. We might as well just let him. That guy's got a voice on him. Man. Let's have him sing. We might as well just have him here because his stuff's already here. I am your fill-in host, Mike Forster of Armor Party, filling in for Ryan Key as he's off-planet. It's like, dude, Mike's got a bunch of really legit gear. He owns that van. <laughs> like, I don't know, dude. It might just make sense, you know? <laughs> we practice in his dad's studio. His dad toured with Earth, Wind, and Fire in the <laughs> 70s. He definitely knows some people with the label still. <laughs> like, for sure. Um, anyway, like, as you gathered, Ryan is off-world, like Mike said. Not dead. We're going to just, like, take a break from the dead joke. He's remodeling a house. Lots of stuff going on. And because he's remodeling a house, he doesn't have a real studio like he's complained about on this very show. It complicates things. Sounds weird. He has to be next to his mom's, you know, precious moments collection or whatever <laughs> in the guest room to do mm-hmm. the thing. So taking a break, not only for that reason, but also because we're starting, as you saw in the title, coverage of Star Wars Rebels leading up to Kenobi. Ryan hasn't watched yes. it. Too many chores. So here we are, a bunch of Rebels fans, a bunch of Rebels watchers to break it down. I have said for years that if people got over the medium and I totally, I can empathize and I would love to be a fly on the wall of the conversations that happened as Rebels was turning into something, right? And at that time, it's like, you know, you have to sell a certain amount of episodes. You have to sell a network to basically purchase the rights to be able to show it. There's a lot of things that were going on and I am going to take this to my force grave Rebels is some of the best Star Wars hidden in a goofy package that the fact that most people haven't seen it is a travesty. Yeah, agreed. And that sh- and it radically changed. We'll, we'll go into it over the next couple episodes, but by the end of Rebels, I'm sitting here going, for me, it's on the level of Clone Wars in terms of not only its importance, but it made me look at Star Wars different. And mm. I will forever cherish this series. Yeah, my, my experience with it is... I actually did get to watch, let's see, I think season four premiere, I was like caught up, you know? So I was watching it at release time for the the final season. I mean, I think pound for pound, it's it's as good as Clone Wars. You know, it's more condensed. It's less episodes, less filler. I really think the only season I would consider saying has filler is season one. Everything else gets super more heavy, like super heavy and more serialized after that finale of season one. Yeah, I love it. The characters are great. I do understand that people can't get past the animation in a sense that it just doesn't even look as good as the Clone Wars. So it seems like 
a step back, but I mean, it's a design choice, perhaps. Maybe it was budgetary. I don't know. Lucasfilm may have only been able to uh, afford one texturizing brush, <laughs> the splatter paint brush <laughs> specifically, and that's it. We saved a lot of money making the lightsabers that thin. So <laughs> that's unfortunately the way it has to go forward. So, you know, these you know, blame the economy. You know, this was before the Etsy uh, brush market <laughs> blew up, you know, before Procreate, before you could get, you know, yeah. like a, a 30 pack of brushes for four ninety nine. <laughs> you know, early days, bro. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. <laughs> that's uh, truly the only texture in, in the entire show. I feel like is that splatter paintbrush. Yeah, but the uh, only thing available on DeviantArt. I mean, story-wise, it's amazing. Characters are amazing. You get so many legacy-type characters in it because it's only, I guess we'll get into it, but it's only about four years before New Hope, so you're inching up towards that. And before we get into it, let me just say, if you have gotten this far into this podcast in regards to talking about Star Wars Rebels, Season 1 is the chore. And then I think they realized this show's viewership is the same people. We didn't have to remarket it towards kids. The show in tone dramatically changes. Get through season one. It builds the foundation for these characters. That's all I'm saying. Keep watching. Yeah, which is good. Calm down and get to know these characters because from this point on, after season one, these characters that you now know are going to go through some serious things. And season one helps you care about them, you know? Yeah. I think we should get into it. What have you done with those plans? Star Wars colon Rebels. Season one is what we're talking about today. I'm going to give you an extended stolen plans just because we're kicking off this whole four-season series. And... uh We'll skip, other than new appearances, we'll, we'll skip a lot of this uh, in the next three episodes. Star Wars Rebels was the first new Star Wars project after the Disney acquisition of Lucasfilm. About two years, right? Yeah. Two years after. Because it was uh, mid-2012, the mm-hmm. acquisition. And this premiered worldwide on October 3rd, 2014 as a one-hour television movie. Not so different from The Clone Wars, you know, minus the theatrical element. It was the first two episodes, part one and part two, um, on the Disney Channel, and then it continued from there on Disney XD. What is Disney XD? Is it like uh, MTV2? I'm kind of like it was. Or is it animation? I don't know. More? I really don't know now. I, I swear it was like an Apple TV channel, like an app you could get. Hmm. I think that's how I watched it. But Mike, what does the Google say? It's the paid version of Disney, which is a compelling mix of live action an animated kids programming. Oh, because Disney became a non-premium cable channel, right? It just became part of normal cable packages at some point? Yes. It replaced Toon Disney, Logie Wan Kenobi says. Yeah. Interesting. So that makes sense. And that was also probably with, was that around their ABC acquisition at the same time? Things were changing? Hmm. Very possibly. Okay. Anyway, being on traditional television in that sense... This is a standard old-school half-hour TV format, 22-minute episodes allowing for eight minutes of commercials on a half-hour block. Written and created by Dave Filoni, Simon Kinberg, and Carrie Beck. Carrie Beck is now on pretty much everything. You, uh, she became Senior VP of Development and Production, so you'll see her name credited as producer or executive producer on most stuff now. Yeah, just about everything since this. She's co-executive producer. Crushing it. Yeah. All of these episodes 
were directed by, in season one, these 15 episodes were uh, directed by four people, being Dave Filoni. You guys have probably heard of him. Stephen G. Lee, who started as a character animator on The Phantom Menace, The Force Unleashed, and some other games. I don't know what he's done outside of Star Wars. That's a Star Wars track record, though. Stuart Lee directed a handful of these. He's done a ton of The Clone Wars, a bunch of Resistance, a bunch of Bad Batch. He's uh, he's a household name in this Disney animation world. And Justin Ridge, who also worked on four episodes of The Clone Wars, it looks like, and some Star Wars Resistance. I'm not sure what he worked on outside of Star Wars either, but he's been around. Cast-wise, let's do this. In introducing the cast, I'll also introduce these characters because it's a this this is a smaller show in terms of like the scope of the characters that we interact with and the story it's a galaxy spanning story but the core crew there is a core crew whereas the clone wars you know you had obi-wan ahsoka anakin yoda and the council but then there were just like so many other characters that it's you know it's a totally different vibe so i'll talk about these folks here and uh, feel free to chime in if you guys want to talk about some little character bits. They do have a name. It's called the Ghost Crew. They do. <laughs> so Ezra Bridger, our new hero, our like Luke Skywalker, Harry Potter character, a 15-year-old Force-sensitive orphan, played by Taylor Gray, voiced by Taylor Gray, I should say. Space Aladdin. <laughs> Space Aladdin, for sure. That's exactly who he is in the first episode. It's amazing. I mean, especially how he's introduced is yeah. legit Aladdin. Kanan Jarrus who uh, has a different name that we'll learn later. We should also, this is a given with our podcast, but we're going deep spoilers. Some people may be cool with that. You may just want to know about Rebels. You might not want to put in the time for a cartoon, but maybe this will convince you. We're not going to hit every single point, so you'll still get stuff out of it if you want to watch after. Uh, We're really here, like Mike said, to plead the case that this is worth your time. So here we go. Back into spoilers. Uh, Kanan was an Order 66 survivor, former Padawan of Depo Balaba, and we saw that moment, that Order 66 moment happen in the Bad Batch, voiced by Freddie Prinze Jr., who everyone knows, at least people our age-ish. You know, Freddie Prinze Jr. really should be our friend. Besides Star Wars, he also worked some, I think he had a writing gig with WWE. I'm like, this dude's Mm. just a handsome nerd. He's very nerdy. He'd fit in around here. I like it. He married Buffy. Yep. Right. Oh, it's also on Rebels. Oh yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we need to see if um, if Austin Romero can mm-hmm. reach out to this dude. Yeah, I'm thinking. Uh, I tweeted today. This would be two days ago from the time that you're listening to this. Uh, so go and retweet Honda Supply's request for Kanan Jarrus to come on the show and talk. <laughs> do it. Also, like a bunch of people retweeted but didn't like. Also, like please. Just do everything do we say, please. Yeah. <laughs> do it specifically to our specifications. Please and thank you. Harrison Dula, Twilight pilot, captain of the ghost, voiced by Vanessa Marshall. Zeb Aurelios, a Lasat. We'll talk about that species later. Voiced by Steve Bloom or Blum. What do you think? Bloom or Blum? Blum. Blum. I go Blum. Blue um. Sabine Wren, a 16-year-old Mandalorian artist. First, like, true artist in Star Wars, probably, right? Oh, definitely. I think so. She is voiced by Tia Sarkar, who I knew first and foremost as Vicky on The Good Place. Yeah. She's also in The After Party, which was uh, yes. on Apple Plus, which was excellent. I like her a lot. Hella pregnant in that show. Yeah. Chopper, the crew's astromech droid, who I found out today was built from spare parts. Didn't know that. 
Uh, didn't I guess I didn't pay enough attention the first time. Bucket of bolts. <laughs> a true bucket of bolts. The old murder bot. <laughs> so that's kind of the core crew. And then there are a handful of uh, pretty key characters on the Imperial side. Agent Callus, an Imperial officer who has a, a complex character arc. We'll talk about that in subsequent seasons. Uh, Imperial special agent, I would like to add. Damn, my bad. He would be displeased. You can't get that cool helmet just being an officer. You you got to have the old bowling ball as a special agent. <laughs> yeah. I love his name, Callus. It's like right in that kind of, uh, you know, George just kind of naming every bad guy a bad sounding yeah. name. Vader, Sidious, there's a, there's a really There's a really funny, I'm trying to look it up really quick. There's a really funny riff on that in Futurama. Agent Bunyan. <laughs> oh, yes. Agent Kankersor. Agent Bad Breath. Agent Public Farting. Agent Halitosis. Here, you ready? It's going to come out of nowhere. Darth Procious. Darth Splooter. Darth Erderer. Darth Ithead. <laughs> Darth Ithead. <laughs> That's great. Darth Sploder. Uh, Agent Callus, a.k.a. Darth Sploder, is <laughs> voiced by David Oyelowo, I'm going to say. I'm so sorry, dude. Uh, he was in Selma, Jack Reacher, Interstellar, the Grand Inquisitor, who in season one is technically only called the Inquisitor, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, voiced by Jason Isaacs. Classic bad guy. Malfoy's dad in Harry Potter. He just looks like he does crimes. <laughs> you know, he just has that face. I'm sorry, Jason, in real life, if you're a sweet guy, but you just, you look... Do crime. Look sketchy, bro. Uh, Gaul Travis is a character who's... In a handful of episodes in this season, I mainly put him here because he's voiced by Brent Spiner, Data from Star Trek, The Next Generation. So cool. And a uh, character named Visago, who we see, I want to say twice in this season. He's kind of a Hondo-type smuggler, just kind of like sketchy, also a little bit of comic relief dude. Voiced by um, Keith Sarabica. He's a character actor who's kind of a that guy. You'd know his face-ish. He's been around forever. He was in Transformers, Argo, The Dark Knight. He plays a really good, like, older, kind of scruffy detective dude, which is, I, I think, who he is in The Dark Knight. You would kind of recognize his face if you check out his IMDb. Mm -hmm. And then um, the ghost itself is such a character, like the Millennium Falcon, you know? It's such a, like, a recognizable silhouette of a ship. They're always referring to it by name. It has a little um, shuttle that attaches and detaches from the back called the Phantom Mm -hmm. It's just a dope ship. It's a Corellian ship, just like the Falcon. I love it. Kind of looks like in shape, like if you just saw the shadow of it, like a kind of like a flying squirrel or something. Am I thinking of the right <laughs> oh, animal? Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like I wonder if that's where the uh, actual shape of it came from. And it's got all the gadgets you'd want to uh, jump to hyperspace, mm -hmm. uh, mm. shield our uh, approach to a Imperial ship, cargo space. It's got all the stuff you need. To do crime, according to the Empire. Space crime. <laughs> and then there are some big character appearances from characters we know from other Star Wars things. So Darth Vader, right off the bat, in a hologram. Darth Sploder. And then we see, uh, <laughs> see him at the end of season one as well. Voiced by none other than James Earl Jones. They spared no expense. Obi-Wan Kenobi, only in hologram form until a key moment later, which we'll talk about in a couple episodes. Voiced by James Arnold Taylor, friend of the pod. Same voice from uh, The Clone Wars. C-3PO and R2. Uh, 3PO being voiced by Anthony Daniels. That dude's up for anything. 
<laughs> Bail Organa is voiced by Phil Lamar. Yes. Did he do Bail in other stuff as well? Uh, I believe so, yeah. Yeah, I think he's done a couple Star Wars projects. Mm-hmm. I just found out today on his IMDb, this is fucking Marvin from Pulp Fiction who got shot in the face. Oh, yeah. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. What? what? I didn't know that. Mad TV he was on. Come on. Did a few voices on Futurama. Yeah, definitely Futurama. He's Hermes on Futurama. I mean, he only got to that point because he didn't have a, a juicy burger. That's, that's right. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a tasty burger. <laughs> you mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down? when he's just slurping down the last bit of it and his eyes are about to pop out of his head and he's just staring that dude down is the best thing <laughs> I've ever seen. Girlfriend's a vegetarian. Yoda is voiced by Frank Oz, the dude, the legend, Lando Calrissian, voiced by Billy D. Williams himself, and Grand Moff Tarkin is voiced by Stephen Stanton, who also played Tarkin in The Clone Wars. He did Admiral Rattus in Rogue One. He's been around. And he's one of the pikes in uh, Book of Boba Fett. So, oh, nice. He also does Ben Kenobi in the Lego version of the Skywalker oh, wow. saga. Mm, nice. Very cool. And then the last one here in the notes, I, even though we're going to get to it, I'm just going to save it for the end. Okay. Of the kind of overview, because it's, it's a good one. People probably know, but I'm just going to save it anyway. I'm going to be okay. that guy. It's a bit of a spoiler. Yeah. A little bit of a spoiler. And the Inquisitors mentioned earlier the the grand inquisitor the very concept of inquisitors is something new that was brought to canon by this series they existed a little bit back in the day there was this i'm going to step on the den of antiquities a little bit here there was a like a role-playing game in the mid 80s i want to say a star wars role-playing game and the the guidebook for that like the you know the dungeon master book basically the reference material referenced inquisitors the inquisitorious as a group they look different but this idea of these jedi hunters employed by the empire came from that the uh the grand inquisitor is a humanoid species native to utapau we know them from the prequels they're called powans utapau powans they're the, the the folks with the gnarly teeth the lines on their face the, the species that everyone's all up in arms about in the kenobi trailer because his head doesn't look enough like an egg. Like a cone head from Dan Aykroyd. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. There are, you know what? We'll do this. We'll go deep maybe next week or the week after because more Inquisitors come into the picture. There are 11 canon Inquisitors known so far, spanning animation, comics, video games, and now the live action that we referenced. In the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, there's one called Reva. She's the only fully, like, just straight normal human one, I want to say. Was the sister? Sister. No. Fallen Order has... Uh, oh, that's right. Trilla. Yeah. Trilla yeah. Sindari. Um, the thing, I think if, we, if, we, if we're going to tease someone as to like who the Inquisitors are, many people will remember at the end of uh, a theme that keeps coming up is that there is a databank of Force-sensitive users out there in the galaxy. There are younglings and there are people who the Jedi have over time gotten to start training and gotten to start tapping into these Force abilities. And as you can imagine, when the Jedi Order fell, the dark side chose to do things with some of them. And so you have a really interesting, obviously a very emotional response to things, which is why <laughs> the Empire was so good about recruiting people, was tapping into emotions and tapping into the power that made them very powerful. So the Inquisitors in many ways are 100% in canon. Uh, some of the Jedi youth that had been trained on the other side. So. We won't go too far into it, 
but definitely know that if you are looking for Force-sensitive bad guys, the Inquisitors are your crew. They're bad. The Grand Inquisitor was a Jedi Temple Guard, right? Yeah. Does that come up in Rebels, like, two, three, or four? I forget. Uh, How do we know that? It's it's in the second or third series, and it's a vision that Kanan has. Okay. And lastly, in Stolen Plans here, I will say two things. One, the IMDb rating is really solid, 8.0 out of 10. Viewers love this show. It is a kid's show, you know, officially. Like, it, it won an Emmy for Best New children's series or something like that that's odd i feel like this show has darker moments than clone wars yeah i guess it does <laughs> i mean we'll get into it but like that stuff with uh depa balaba and using her body as a no 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 not depa not barisafi no no no. it's not barisafi it's paris's master it's luminar yeah yeah luminar. that's Son what the bitch. next hour or two is going to be like i'm not going to remember anything also the fact that they reference like oh yeah zeb is like I can't touch this weapon. Yeah. He's like, why, Zeb? He's like, because the Empire used it to kill my entire race of species. Yeah. You're like, oh, genocide on the table. <laughs> I feel like using Luminara's like dead body as bait for Jedi and showing yeah. that she's in this like tomb, I feel like that's not for kids. So yeah. it's, it's it's strange. It's a kid's show with some non-kid moments. I mean, like most Star Wars things, you know? Like I, I feel like the vibe though overall and the look of the animation, which we'll talk about in, in the den is, is definitely more of a kid vibe. Mm -hmm. It's a vibrant color palette. It's a smoother, more kind of a jovial, bouncy right. character animation and uh, character design aesthetic. Everyone's bouncy. Everyone's rubbery. Um, even the dialogue is more like, Hey guys, well, you know, it's mm -hmm. good. Like the acting's a little more like for kids, but it gets dark. So yeah, that's just the way Star Wars is a lot of times. It's interesting. And that wraps up the dead, basically. Um, so well, let's give a little more of an overview and kind of fill in blanks here about when this takes place, what the big themes are. Someone mentioned, one of you guys mentioned earlier that this is only a few years before A New Hope. It's officially, it starts at least 5 BBY before the Battle of Yavin, which is 14 years into Imperial rule. Do we talk about Governor Price? No, mm -hmm. because that is, there we go. We've got this tie in between Thrawn, like Thrawn isn't coming up, but like, if you read the books, Governor Price is, you're like, oh, Governor Price plays a pivotal role in the Thrawn books. Mm -hmm. they, they're using her because then you would have figured out Thrawn eventually is coming. Well, what you're getting at though, is that there's, there's so much coming. And like we said at the top of this, because this is something to really prime viewers for the Obi-Wan sure. series, it gives you, it really fills out what the Empire is doing. You know, like a lot of stuff that happened at the end of the Clone Wars, people just not being happy with what the big government entity is doing in, in the galaxy. Right. Same kind of stuff, same kind of thing in Solo and a lot of other things. This, over the course of four seasons, really like lays it out and it does it in the exact same skin as the original trilogy, which is, I think, why it's so relatable. A lot of times it's using the same music. I mean, right. they're the exact same themes filled in with other stuff. They're painting with that brush. Right. I'm, I'm saying if we talk about, like, to draw a picture of Lothal, you would have recognized that name if you had read the Thrawn books. As, okay. I didn't realize that. Well, because Governor Price is from Lothal. Oh, interesting. And so okay. She, and she's just mentioned. She's not in season one, right? So it is really, like, clues. But I'm, I'm just saying you would have recognized Lothal. Governor Price's family owned one of the largest mining yeah. operations on Lothal. 
Mike's point is if you start to hear Arinda Price's name, you start to be that. At that point, if you're a mega nerd and read some books here and there, you're going to be like, right. Price? Does that mean Thrawn's coming? <laughs> yeah. So like we said, this is leading up to the original trilogy. This is right around the time when, like we saw in the, uh, the Kenobi trailer, like we know now, Inquisitors are out there doing their bad deeds. This is our mainstream introduction to it. The opening scene is a hollow of Darth Vader, a sick monologue that I should just probably play right now. The Jedi Knights are all but destroyed, and yet your task is not complete, Inquisitor. The Emperor has foreseen a new threat rising against him. The children of the Force. They must not become Jedi. Yes, Lord Vader. Hunt down this new enemy, and if they will not serve the Empire, eliminate them along with any surviving Jedi who would train them. This is my master's command. And so it will be done. Pretty sick. <laughs> Pretty, like, solid hook to say, hey, you should probably keep watching this. <laughs> Welcome to the show. You're going you're gonna to be down. <laughs> Between that, the Obi-Wan closing, uh, the hologram that closes episode one, or episode two, I guess, right? And then the Inquisitor has a hollow call at the end. It, it like, really sets the stage, the stakes even though this is this this little family, this little single crew that we follow, everything they're they're dealing with is on the galactic scale that we see in all the other stuff, which is like really interesting because you can tell a small story, you can see how the bigger things affect the smaller people, and how sometimes the smaller people can be as important to the larger story as you know the big heroes, mm-hmm. the Luke Skywalkers and Obi Wan Kenobi's of the universe. And and through future storytelling from this point on, you get just dropping another Mandalorian like Sabine. Like we're going to get a lot from Mm -hmm. her and just how this tie. I mean, having Vader around ties everything together. But obviously we get into more Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, all this stuff, clones, all this stuff. Like it's just really like you're getting to know this crew and care about this crew. But there's literally Champ Syndulla's daughter. So mm-hmm. if you if you watch the Clone Wars, it ties into that. Like I said, Sabine Wren is a Mandalorian. We we start to bring in Bo Katan and all this stuff. Dark Saber. I mean, there's so much just from this little crew that, from future storytelling, makes it have a bigger scale. But right now, you're mm-hmm. just like, oh, these guys are cool. But there's yeah. so much more coming. Yeah, you think about how much people love Rogue One, how well that did in the box office, and that's a much smaller story when you really think about it. Mm -hmm. Like the implications, the way that that one mission impacted everything is massive, obviously, but that's just a few people who live and die on screen in a couple hours. Mm -hmm. This is like so deeply intertwined with everything, like Nick's saying, yet it still feels cozy. Maybe, Maybe that whole Rogue One crew was inspired by the ghost, you know? I mean, the ghost is in Rogue One. True. At some point, the ghost is in um, Rise of Skywalker. Rise of Skywalker. So, yep. Choppers in Rogue One also. They call for Harrison Dula over there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Loudspeaker. Sure do. Man, Star Wars is throwing something. I, I like <laughs> it. And lastly, um, in this little section here, Lothal, the planet that we mentioned earlier, that is Ezra's home planet. It's also basically home base for the crew. We spend the majority of the time there if we're not on some mission somewhere else. Even a lot of like the big force centric moments in, in Ezra's arc 
throughout the seasons happen on there. There's a really, really big, important thing that thematically is like a, a George throwback that we'll mention once we get there. It all happens on Lothal. There's a temple there. So I'm stoked to see Lothal in live action. Probably this year, if I had to guess. We'll see how well that prediction ages in a couple months. Ahsoka series. If Ezra is involved, then why wouldn't we go to Lothal? Agreed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, let's talk about essential episodes. I'll list them off and then we'll go kind of episode by episode and just give you little bits of why you might want to watch something or why you might want to skip it or whether or not you can fold your laundry during episode four or whatever, you know what I mean? Because we don't want to go too deep and do like a full breakdown I don't know. It's just, it's too much because especially with, you know, a month or whatever leading up to Kenobi, if you want to get through stuff, this is going to be that guide for you. So essential episodes, in my opinion, and guys chime in and disagree if you like one, two, three, five, eight, 10, 12, 13, 14, 15. The easier way to say that is if you want to skip five of the 15 of these 22 minute episodes, you could skip four, six, seven, nine, and eleven, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean that that a lot of that you get the introduction, and then like kind of the second half of the middle five is kind of almost missiony. You don't get too much there, and then obviously it culminates pretty well. So I I, I agree with that. Uh, Henry Clark just asked if we can uh, get a text list of recommended episodes for this and future episodes. We'll put that in the show notes for sure. Maybe on Discord for the patrons, we'll break this down. Maybe I'll just throw in these notes all together. Nice. Either way, we'll provide that in some capacity. Okay, so the quick overview of these episodes goes like this. One and two are basically one long episode, like we talked about part one, part two, Spark of Rebellion. This establishes everything. Like Nick said, we meet the crew. The crew meets Ezra. We get that Vader intro. We... We learn what Inquisitors are right away. We get that sick Obi-Wan holocron message, which is his Order 66 message. It's teased at the beginning. We get the whole thing at the end. It's super emotional and amazing. There's a mission to save Wookiee slaves on Kessel, being the first ever on-screen depiction of Wookiees in this kind of like post-prequel, how the hell did they end up being this like rare beast that no one's ever heard of kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Ezra gets captured. The crew rescues him. There's this kind of back and forth about who is this kid? I don't know. Is he a waste of our time? Kanan ends up taking him as a Padawan. The crew is assembled. In general, too, Kanan senses something about Ezra, basically, mm-hmm. in, in pretty early on in this. While Ezra is acting like Aladdin, <laughs> yeah. Kanan is like, wait a minute. How's he do that? I'm sensing something. So. I think uh, there's a big kind of like a a quick learning curve there in episode one and two of there being a little bit of distrust about the kid, but Kanan being like, hold on. He's basically like Qui-Gon at this point. It's like, no, wait, this kid's special. We got a a new crew member, yo. (laughs) Well, he he mentions a test, like the fact that he could open the holocron 
he passed the test. Yeah. So I guess it's not specified whether or not Kanan was looking for a force sensitive or I think it's maybe more like he felt something like he suspected that he could be force sensitive, like, like you're saying, Nick. Mm-hmm. And then if he opens that holocron, we'll know. Well, he doesn't even present, Kanan doesn't even present the fact that he is a Jedi until what an Inquisitor shows up and he pulls out his lightsaber, you know, like even at that point, do we even know, right? If Kanan is a Jedi? He tiptoes into it. Yeah. I'm about to let everyone in on a big secret, kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is an awesome line. It's good. Yeah. I, I think I think too the there's a lot that happens in these first two episodes that really establishes both, you know, what the state of the galaxy is in, and also that idea of when we saw a lot of those same themes in The Mandalorian, Ahsoka saying that Grogu has shut himself off to the force in a lot of ways, as that's the fight or flight response for a lot of Jedi. They're aware that there are Force-sensitive bad guys out there looking for them that are drawn to their connection to the Force. So I think all of that is intentional that Kanan doesn't you know, carry the fully assembled lightsaber on him. He, he keeps his Jedi... I mean, I don't think you know the idea of tapping into the Force, he knows that if he were to do that, that's going to tip off someone that there's something going on here. Mm-hmm. Hey, scared. Yeah, yeah. We kind of saw some themes of that in, in Fallen Order. Cal Kestis kind of had the same thing where he's like, I cannot tap into the force. We've seen these same themes happen in Star Wars in a couple other different ways. But these two episodes, again, if you get over the animation style compared to whatever you thought it was going to be, like there is a lot, there's a lot of Star Wars in here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what it's, that's kind of similar to, it just popped into my head. It's like the eye of Sauron when you like put on the ring and he's just like, oh my uh, God. Yeah. For sure. There's the ring. <laughs> it's like the second you use the force... Palpatine or Vader, somebody's going to feel it. Right. What a ripoff. <laughs> Star Wars is such a ripoff, dude. <laughs> Episode three, Droids in Distress. I included this only because 3PO, R2, and Bail Organa are in it. Yeah, I get it. It's an early indication that we're going to see some familiar faces. You could fold your laundry through this episode, mm-hmm. but probably watch it. Episode four, Fight or Flight. This is on the skip list for me, but. If you want to see Ezra use the Force for the first time, like successfully, I think he presses a button with the Force to release some 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 prisoners, go ahead and watch it. Otherwise, I don't think you miss much in this one. Episode 5, Rise of the Old Masters. This one's pretty cool. This is uh, what uh, we were talking about with the, the stuff that's not as kid-friendly, maybe, <laughs> as everything else. The Luminara ploy, using the dead body to trigger, you know, to sort of tip off Kanan to try to get him to come save her. It turns out she's dead. That's a pretty cool little little story. And when I was watching this for the first time, I wasn't as deep as I am now, like not even nearly as deep as I am now in my knowledge. So I was convinced like, oh, wow, we're about to see this Jedi mm-hmm. that we thought was dead. It's a big letdown, but it's awesome. I feel like the Inquisitor kind of leads on that they've caught other Jedi with this kind of ploy before. Right. I think the other thing too, when you talk about, so an interesting little tie-in of everything that we know now, you remember in that episode of Bad Batch, where after Order 66, they took the bodies of the Jedi. They didn't just leave them. Yeah, yeah. Like they took them. So they brought them back to Kamino. So in our head, we're all trying to put together these pieces of, oh, you know, they're going to bring them back to clone them. And, you know, then like, is that where Grogu and the, you know, the, the Camino facility and all that stuff. So it's really interesting to know that on the way back in 2014, they're letting you know that the, you know, the 
Vader especially, and we, we of course see this in A New Hope, has such respect for the Jedi. And now that we see that the, the Imperials treated these Jedi, the Jedi Order, as, you know, let's figure out ways that we can be creative with what to do with them. Let's not just throw them over a cliff and say, they're gone now. Especially when you see Luminara, like she's like mummified. It's like mm-hmm. terrifying. Yeah. It's interesting. It's really cool just seeing how, where we're breaking this down and where this was in 2014. We just had themes of it in 2021. It's awesome. You know what it's just like, and I'm sure there was inspiration here. It's just like Nazi Germany and how they were eradicating an entire group of people, but they were also using them for scientific experiments. Right. You know, anyone who could work for them, just like the empire here, despite their ultimate plan to eradicate them, they wouldn't pass up the opportunity to take a physicist and put them to work on a, on a missile project or something. So right. same kind of stuff here with the Jedi. Uh, there's also the first contact with the Inquisitors between the crew and, and the Inquisitors. Uh, Ezra and Kanan using the Force together to lift a huge door and escape. That's pretty sick. First, like, is there another example of two people using the Force together to do something like that in Star Wars? Prior, to, uh, I guess in Clone Wars, there's a bunch of it, right? But it's, you know, it's more rare. So it's, it's cool to watch them have that connection. And then Kanan being kind of on the fence, questioning his ability about whether or not he can actually train Ezra. Ezra being bummed about it, you know, because of his abandonment issues and everything. There's good character stuff there. They make up great line about there is no try. And a great, like, joke on, on Master Yoda that Kanan does. Do or do not. There is no try. What does that even mean? How can I do something if I don't try to do it? Well, see... Actually, that one always confused me, too, but Master Yoda sure used to say it a lot. That's definitely a must-watch. Episode 6 is on the skip list, but here are the things, if you want to know what's in this, if you're fully going to skip it. Uh, The Rebels send Ezra on an undercover mission to the Imperial Academy to steal a decoder and do some other things. The interesting part about this, which makes it a maybe, or... I mean, ultimately, just watch them all. But if you're lazy, here's what happens. The Inquisitors are monitoring students for evidence of force sensitivity. So the ones that do really well, they're like, meh, we should probably check those ones out. And um, Ezra makes a friend in the Academy who helps later. You can see he's kind of getting stronger with the force. He uses it in his mission to steal the decoder. Uh, there's a cool little battle with the, the Imperial Walkers, the two-footed ones that have a different, they're not ATSTs. We'll talk about those later. So it's a fun episode, but it's skippable. ATDPs. ATDP, there it is. Episode 7, another one on the skip list, Out of Darkness. This is the first appearance of Fulcrum, voice only. So it's not a, a huge miss. The voice is kind of, uh, you know... Modulated, how kind should, of affected. Should, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of hidden, so you can't tell who it is. Fulcrum gives the crew a tip about some supplies at an abandoned Republic base, which is cool to see if you're a big Clone Wars fan, so watch it if you want to see that. Otherwise... It's kind of like character building stuff for Sabine and Hera. They're alone together on this planet. It's kind of a side quest vibe. It's skippable if you need to. Episode 8, Empire Day. This is definitely on the watch list. This has some cool themes. This gave me like solo vibes a little bit, especially because there's the music, the the Imperial March in the major key. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like this fanfare kind of rah-rah support the troops kind of thing. And there's a bunch of deeper stuff about Ezra because 
He's from Lothal. There's his family history that we'll talk about later. Empire Day is his birthday. Yeah, that too. He's struggling with the memories of his parents. It's pretty good. Kanan uh, is teaching him to connect with other beings, Lothcats to start. Um, we learn a little bit about Ezra's parents. Like we mentioned, they were early rebels and they used to broadcast these anti-Empire messages out to the galaxy. They were kind of like rebel radio, you know, mm. DJ, uh, you know, what do you call them? That kind of vibe. The crew rescues an old family friend of Ezra's named Sibo. This ends with a to be continued. I can't remember exactly where the thing with Sibo happens. Basically, like Ezra finds out that that Sibo knew Ezra's parents were going to be taken by the Empire. Stuff bad things were going down, but he couldn't save them. Sibo couldn't save them. And Sibo now has this like imperial like head implant thing, like kind of like Lobot, right? Correct. So, yeah. He kind of he kind of yeah. doesn't have his true personality. Anthony in the chat is saying, "Was this the first instance uh, that we heard the term chain codes?" I don't remember exactly. It sounds like the right uh. episode for it to to come up. I don't remember the actual line though. Do they say chain code in Return of the Jedi? Mm, I don't think I don't so. Know. I don't no. think so. Maybe this might be it. Yeah. Point being, there's a lot of turmoil with Ezra tied into the Empire Day itself, and then meeting this old friend ends with it to be continued. Episode nine, Gathering Forces, picks up pretty much right away. They're, uh, they're flying through hyperspace with the ghost. They need to split up. So they do something that's pretty cool. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because it's kind of the first and only time this happens. They kind of just detach the Phantom shuttle while they're in hyperspace and it drops out, out of hyperspace so they can continue. Mm. Kind of like an interesting little like sci-fi element. Kind of like some, you know, some stuff that they did in the, the sequel trilogy. I just thought it looked really cool and it being new. I thought it was worth mentioning. Uh, Kanan and Ezra go back to the abandoned base from episode seven to lure the Inquisitors there. The idea, you know, going back to episode eight, is Kanan making Ezra bond with other beings. He wants Ezra to bond with these Furnox. Mm-hmm. You know, they're referred to as like a parasitic species. They, I think they're kind of cute. I think that's kind of rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, they're, they're super gnarly. Like they're, you know, you they don't want to be petted. <laughs> but this whole thing, like getting him to, to bond with them is kind of a trial. Sounds like a chore, you know, it's Miyagi style. So he kind of puts him in danger and he's only successful in connecting with these Furnox when he confronts his own fear, like in the moment. It comes down to like not knowing what happened to his parents. He, he, he has to get past the idea of forgiving Sibo. It's a big character thing for Ezra. Anyway, point being, he... um he connects with these Furnox and he just like unleashes them on the Imperials. And that's kind of part of the battle. And then there's this amazing moment where unbeknownst to Ezra at the time, the fear and the anger build up so much that he like taps into the dark side and triggers this thing that summons this huge Furnox, the I guess the mother, like this giant one. That one then, you know, takes out the Imperials, distracts them enough that they escape. The Inquisitor and Kanan were actually in a oh, battle. They were battling. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, and Kanan was kind of losing. Well, he was losing. So I think in, in an effort to almost like save Kanan and Ezra probably had this fear of losing Kanan, he summons this big uh, Furnock, which I think is, when I think about it now, when I rewatched it, Ezra has definitely other instances throughout the series of connecting with animals. So this was like an early, yeah. like kind of the first time that he did that. And we've, we've seen that uh, most notably probably an attack of the clones when Anakin kind mm. of settles down the 
the reek? Yeah, yeah. In the uh, the arena, right? right? In the stadium. Yep. Canyon's obviously uh, pretty concerned about that whole thing. But the episode ends with a good little um, moment where Sabine gives Ezra a hollow disc with a bunch of pictures of his parents. Again, just a lot of character building stuff for Ezra. Time back to the family history. Episode 10, Path of the Jedi. This is for sure on the watch list. This is the temple that we mentioned earlier that they find on Lothal. So Kanan talks about his concerns with Ezra's focus, his commitment, like the dark side tendencies, this kind of stuff. So he, he wants to test Ezra. They have to go find this hidden temple. Ezra senses it. He finds it. Kanan already knew where it was. He had the holocron. But they go, they find it. It's on Lothal. And they have to use the force together to raise this giant conehead stone up to reveal the entrance. They go into the temple. And this is like a very heavily Dagobah, the Empire Strikes Back influenced kind of storyline. Ezra has a force vision where he's fighting the Grand Inquisitor, who then kills Kanan. He falls, and he, all of a sudden he's back on the ship, and then he realizes, no, this can't be happening, and he's back in the temple. He's having this, this deep hallucination, force vision kind of thing. Ultimately, it's about facing his fears of being alone and abandoned again, and also letting down Kanan. Yoda talks to him through the force. Again, a lot like the Luke on Dagobah thing. And he even hits him with the exact same line, like... He's, he says, why must you become Jedi? And he, he answers a lot like Luke. He's like, I don't know, well, you know, because I guess because this, like just really nonchalant. He's like, I, you know, I just want to be like strong, you know, and be powerful and stuff. And Yoda's, Yoda responds, oh, so you want power? You know, really kind of pushing him, kind of testing him in that way. Says he really wants to be able to protect and save his friends. So he kind of whittles down to what he really wants and why. And then he ends up getting a kyber crystal. All this stuff leads him to this, this end point when he gets the crystal in something that really looks like the world between worlds, which we see. Yeah, very similar. Spoiler alert. <laughs> we won't talk any deeper about that now. Don't say anything else. <laughs> but it's an amazing concept. We'll either confirm or debunk that speculation when we get to that point in season three or whatever it is for. Anyway, Kanan also speaks to Yoda. It's not so much a test there but it's kind of like hey man how you been cool yeah i have a padawan pretty sick you know it's not it's not a big there's nothing he has to overcome and then ezra builds his first lightsaber it closes with this really heartwarming thing where the crew donates a bunch of parts and then he reveals his lightsaber and they're like all right well that's different but that works cool cool lightsaber man who donated uh one of those old school handheld staplers because that's what that <laughs> that's what that looks like <laughs> Yeah, I gave him a power core, and I found a stapler in my toolbox. And I was putting up some band posters, yeah. and I just stuck a uh, kyber crystal in it. Turns out it can be a blaster and a lightsaber. I'm sure there's like a Reddit uh, message board from that exact date of people complaining about how that lightsaber looks. You can guarantee yeah. that. You know what it actually looks a lot like? Um, the air-powered staple gun, like a, like a Brad Nailer. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Somebody has to have made one out of that. They have. But what's interesting is at the end of that episode, we know it's his lightsaber, but we don't know that it's also a blaster. Yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which is kind of a, a, a reveal later on. But it's weird to like have it look that way and not explain why it looks that way. Which is, I, is probably why they just they threw in that line of, well, it's different, but okay. Yeah. Like, good job, 15-year-old kid. Everything I made when I was 15 looked like hell too, so. <laughs> episode 11, Idiot's Array. This is on the skip list, but if you want to see Lando, voiced by 
Billy D himself, maybe watch this one. It's a bit of a side quest. Lando beats Zeb and Sabak. He wins Chopper in that hand of Sabak. And then it's like, okay, well, I'll give you the droid back, but you have to help me with this. It's kind of a, it's a Mandalorian episode in that sense. <laughs> but of course, the, uh, the mission he has is, it's a smuggling thing. It's kind of sketchy. Anyway, it all gets pulled off. He gives Chopper back in the end. Everything's cool. Episode 12, Vision of Hope. The title suggests you should probably watch it, and you would be right. Ezra has a vision of Senator Travis, that we mentioned earlier, who was known as a rebel sympathizer spreading anti-imperial information. He had to have been, like, on the run, right? If he's spreading this anti-imperial stuff, Mm -hmm. the idea was that he's in hiding somewhere or something, right? Because you don't just get away with that. So they go, Ezra has a vision of him being in distress or they're, they're with him. So they go, he's like, I I swear this vision, I've never felt so strongly. Like this is, this is real. So they go, they go back to Lothal to rescue him. Turns out he's an Imperial spy. He had been turned at some point in the past. All of this stuff, all these broadcasts were just a way to lure out rebels to try to connect with them. So that's how it goes down. But The real twist is that Travis tells Ezra that he knew of his parents and they're dead. So that's really big for for Ezra. Big character thing. It's very rude of him to say. They were hang gliding and they're dead. (laughs) Oh, honey, take a good picture. I'm dead. Idiot. (laughs) Yeah, and it happens. It's like, oh, hey, I'm a spy and your parents are dead. Screw you. It's pretty brutal. It's a kid show. Yeah, it's a kid show, though. (laughs) And then episode 13, Call to Action. This is an absolute must-watch. It's on the list, of course. This is Tarkin's first appearance. He rolls up in a, an Imperial shuttle, comes down the ramp, badass style, right at the top of the episode. Lots of great scenes with Tarkin in this one. There's an awesome opening monologue where he talks about the Jedi. Minister, have you ever met a Jedi? No, I... I actually knew the Jedi. Not from the pages of folklore or children's tales, but as flesh and blood. And do you know what happened to them? Well, there were rumors. They died. Every last one of them. So you see, this criminal cannot be what he claims to be. And I shall prove it. And he mentions other rebel cells, which again fills in the blanks of this time period. It helps paint a, a, a broader picture of what the rebellion was like, just like Rogue One did. There's a, a scene where he has the Inquisitor kill these officers who failed to capture the ghost crew. He destroys his own communications tower. It's like a, bru- a awesome, brutal Tarkin episode. If you didn't already know, for anyone who's watching now, hey, kids, you may not have seen A New Hope, but this dude's terrible. That's what this episode does. But the, uh, the idea is that the crew has to infiltrate the Imperial comm tower to broadcast an anti-Imperial message across the galaxy because they're at a spot where it's like, they're just, you know, this dude who they thought was doing this great work is really just deceiving everyone. So they have to get the real truth out there. So they infiltrate this tower. Kanan allows himself to be captured so the crew can get up there, transmit the message, and then escape. He's captured by the Inquisitor and Tarkin. It's a bad situation. That doesn't end with a to be continued, but it basically is, right? Because mm-hmm. it picks up immediately from there in episode 14. Am I wrong? Or is that 14 into 15? Mm-hmm. Either way, these, these last three are pretty well tied together. Henry Clark mentioned in the chat here about Maelaroons that we, we talked about earlier. This is the first time visually there in Star Wars during episode four, actually. They were previously mentioned in a book briefly, but now they're everywhere is the point he's making there. You know, they were in the Bad Batch, 
there's all over the place. It's, it's a little like, oh, the mayor's assistant in uh, in the book of Boba Fett. He crashed into it. Look at the patrons yeah. tonight. <laughs> Remember he crashes his speeder into it and then a whole barrel like falls on him? Yeah. yeah. All right, moving on to episode 14, Rebel Resolve. The ghost crew is trying to find and rescue Kanan. Hera actually talks to Fulcrum in a hollow, so we see a profile. We see the hood. Still a disguised voice. They're definitely referring to him to as a him, referring to Fulcrum yeah. as a him. So that's definitely some misdirection. Fulcrum says straight up, stop searching for Kanan, go into hiding. This isn't going to go well. So Hera goes to the rest of the crew and says, this is what Fulcrum told me. We, we're not going anywhere. He's one soldier, blah, blah, blah. It's pretty brutal. And they're, they're basically like one soldier, eat shit. No way, dude. And they go on this rogue mission to rescue Kanan. They uh, meet up with a smuggler named Visago that we mentioned earlier, I think. He tells them how and where to get data on Kanan. So that's the mission. There's also an interrogation scene where the Inquisitor and Tarkin have Kanan on a, on a gurney, strapped to a gurney. It's very A New Hope meets The Force Awakens. Torture scene meets The Empire Strikes Back, one in Bespin. You know, because you've got the hovering interrogation droid. You've got the little shock things. Very reminiscent of that. Pretty dope. Kid show. Um, <laughs> Chopper sneaks onto a ship painted like an Imperial droid, acquires the Imperial files. From those files, they find out that they're taking Kanan to Mustafar. And there's a great line. Somebody says that Kanan told them Mustafar is where Jedi go to die. Hmm. So He's technically correct. Yeah, at least one. That leads us to the season finale, episode 15, Fire Across the Galaxy. The crew goes on this mission to rescue Kanan. They have to infiltrate Tarkin's Star Destroyer via a stolen TIE fighter, and then the ghost pieces out. I don't remember exactly the mechanics of it. Uh, the crew ends up finding Kanan. They break him out, essentially, but they're still on the Star Destroyer. Then there's this amazing lightsaber battle between Kanan, the Grand Inquisitor, and Ezra. Big duel of the fates energy here. It's badass, because it's you know on those catwalks around the, uh, the, uh, the power core. Super badass. Kanan defeats the Grand Inquisitor, but when he does that, the red lightsaber falls into the power core, starts exploding. Grand Inquisitor then also falls into that, so they need to get the hell out of there. They bail in the stolen TIE fighter, which is all painted up by Sabine. It looks like, like a graffiti-painted lowrider from like a car show in Southern California, basically, mm-hmm. but it's a TIE fighter. <laughs> what, like American graffiti? What's that? <laughs> that doesn't look Star Wars. Do your homework. There's a big-ass space battle at this point. Super badass. Feels very, very Star Wars in this moment. All the stuff did already, but if there's anything that's going to get you past the animation style and the kid vibe, it's this battle. It's full-on, like, Return of the Jedi final battle kind of shit. Really dope. Chopper shows up with a group of rebel ships. He's got, like, a transport, and then the ghost is there, too, so it's like, who's flying the ghost? What the hell? They dock at the end, you know, they, they jump to hyperspace, and then they're all meeting up. Bail Organa is there. He reveals to them that they're, they are actually one of many rebel cells, which they didn't even know. I guess Hera was the only one, right, that knew that there were other rebels and she had to keep it quiet so they wouldn't potentially be in danger by having that information. Right. So they're, they're delighted to know that they're part of a bigger rebellion. It's a really cool moment. And then when they're like, wait a minute, who was flying the ghost if Chopper was flying this transport? And then down the ladder comes none other than Ahsoka Tano, voiced by friend of the pod, Ashley Eckstein. What? Are you serious? It's real. Sweet. So if somehow you failed 
to learn that information about rebels. Surprise. <laughs> it's pretty sick. Uh, you know now. And then there's a final scene. Really badass. It's Tarkin, right? Tarkin talking to uh, some of the Imperial officers. And basically it's like, all right, everyone's blowing it. The Inquisitor couldn't pull it off. So the Emperor has sent an alternative solution. And then down the ramp comes Darth Vader. And that's what the season ends on. Begins and ends with Vader. Hell of a bookend, that dude. <laughs> that's just season one. I actually do have Darth Vader bookends around here somewhere. That's where Filoni got the idea. Yep, he came to my house. <laughs> All right. So, again, this is in the show notes, but if you're going to skip anything, four, six, seven, nine, and 11 would be the ones to skip in this season. Or you could just watch them all. All together, it's five and a half hours. You know, 15 episodes, 22 minutes each. And if you really, you skip the intro, you're dropping 10 seconds there. You skip ahead at the end. You skip the credits. You can watch this whole thing in a day. Do it. Any other thoughts before we move on to the Den of Antiquities? No, I mean, I, I just, I wonder if back in 2014, whenever this debuted, if there were people already picking up on like where the story was going, just based off of like what we yeah. said, like name dropping Arinda Price, Ahsoka coming at the end, mm-hmm. obviously Bale being around is always going to have to do with Leia, you know, like, and right. does that mean you, like just these things of like, you know, who's out there at this point after watching right. Clone Wars, knowing where the original trilogy is like, you know, who is alive in the, in the universe. So it's like, Who's coming in season two, three, or four? If we already got Lando, Bale, 3PO, R2, Ahsoka, it's like still a lot of possibilities are still out there. So it, it was a good cliffhanger at the end to have Ahsoka and Vader and all that stuff. I mean, just even having Ahsoka and Vader in the same show is just like, oh my goodness. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> you also have to think too of like where Star Wars was at in this time and that Lucas leading the clone wars and doing this animated thing and really like kind of going for that long form storytelling. Lucas is kind of establishing that clone wars could be independent and tell new stories that weren't all leading up to one, you know, he's thinking in all these other different terms of like where star Wars could go and break off because obviously he wasn't planning on selling at that point. Then you come down to where Rebels starts and rebels is like, okay, this is going to be the love letter to Star Wars fans. And we're going to use it through the form of a kid's show that is different than Clone Wars because we have to make it intentionally look different. We have to establish that like this is the the big Disney project. So just little stuff that we're going to get into in the Den of Antiquities is really great because even stuff like Visago being the Deveronian that we didn't really see that many of and, you know, Mm -hmm. Cantina, the, the devil guy, there's just so many great little details that the original character designs of Zeb and Chopper, so many good things in here. And you can tell that this is really where I think Filoni and the directors went in deep. And this was the show to say, it's okay to connect them to A New Hope. We don't have to tell independent storytelling that needs to go in all these different directions. You know where it's going. It's very close. I think that's why this show is so successful. Yeah, it's a great balance. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's move on. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, it's time for the Star Cruiser giveaway special secret phrase. As you may remember, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We're giving away a bunch of great stuff from the Galactic Star Cruiser and some associated things. We've, uh, we've got a Galactic Star Cruiser training lightsaber and blade. It's the exclusive lightsaber that they only sell on the Halcyon. A kyber crystal from Crafted Cores. Maybe multiple. It says kyber crystals. Either way, sweet. Pins and patches from Mubo's Droid Builders Club and the Batu Bounty Hunt. A kyber holder necklace by Starwares Workshop. Smuggler's prop set by PropRite. It's a goggles thing and some other really dope stuff. Uh, you can see a picture of everything that comes with it on our social media, so go check that out. To enter, you need to collect all four phrases that we've been doing this month of April. The Dano Channel on YouTube, Princess and Scoundrel Podcast, Armor Party Podcast, and this podcast, four phrases. We've been doing this throughout the month of April, so you need to collect four phrases. I'm about to give you ours. Once you have all four phrases, you need to email them to starcruiser at gmail.com. Crew is C-R-E-W. Little play on words there. Star Crew. Sir, S-T-A-R-C-R-E-W-S-E-R at gmail.com, along with your mailing address. And on May 4th, we'll pick a random winner from the eligible entries. This is open only to U.S. residents. Sorry, 18 and up. All that said, the secret special phrase from us, R104, is the possibility of successfully navigating an asteroid field is approximately 3,720 to 1. So take that phrase along with the three others from the Star Cruiser crew. Again, email them to starcruiser at gmail.com, C-R-E-W, play on words, starcruiser at gmail.com with your mailing address, and we'll pick a winner on May 4th. Good luck. For over a thousand generations. It is the dark saber. Torgosh. It's a Calicore. A Sith wayfinder. Dark science. Cloning. Secrets only the Sith knew. The Den of Antiquities, Easter eggs, deep cuts. We've got a bunch here. We haven't been in the den in a while. Feels good. It's nice. What's it smell like? It smells cozy, <laughs> if you can imagine what that smells like. Like a candle that smells like trees. Yeah, like a seasonal candle line from Bath and Body Works. <laughs> oh, what's the scent? Malura. <laughs> Lovely. Like we mentioned earlier, this animation style was unique for Star Wars, but not unique in the world of Disney animation. It was heavily inspired, admittedly so, by the movie Tangled, the 2010 Walt Disney animation CG film. The main male character specifically, Dave Filoni and some other folks saw that and thought, dude, we could do a lot with that. That could be a really maybe efficient and stylistically cool way to go animation-wise. And that's what they did. So if, uh, if you don't vibe with this animation style, maybe don't watch Tangled either. <laughs> Cross it off the list. Zeb... Aurelios, his species, we've mentioned this before, was designed heavily inspired by and basically taken directly from actually Ralph McQuarrie's original Chewbacca concept art in the early, early, like mid 70s concept art for Star Wars. And Chopper, that vibe was kind of the original R2 design as well. I remember hearing somewhere too that in Rebels, he was supposed to, Chopper was supposed to be a little bit more of a, or if not exactly like a, round dome astromech yeah and then they, they switched mm -hmm. it it was the same color scheme and everything and the little bit i've seen but just like a stumpier r2 in a way mm -hmm. smart choice though in episode 10 
Kanan mentions that there were 10,000 Jedi at the time of Order 66. I don't know if that's ever been quantified anywhere else on screen. Seems high. It's too many. Probably <laughs> kill a bunch of them. <laughs> In episode one, when the crew's rescuing the Wookiees on Kessel, that is the first on-screen appearance of Kessel. This is pre-Solo by several years, so interesting. Um, there's a moment, I don't remember what episode this is in. It's one of, the, one of the first couple. On an Imperial radio transmission that's happening kind of in the background, you hear the words, Dispatch to Cell Block AA-23, which is a clear homage to Luke's line in A New Hope, Prisoner Transfer from Detention Block AA-23. I looked it up. Remember we talked about it and thought, I remember Ryan saying something like, it seems like Luke was just like throwing out some bullshit, you know, to just get by the guards. Mm -hmm. It actually is a cannon detention block. It's like the large, you know, say you're like, you're on the fifth floor and then you're in room five or whatever on the fifth floor. Mm -hmm. Not a bullshit line by Luke. The ATDP walker that we mentioned earlier that Mike shouted out, two foot walker has kind of like, almost they look like those wrestling ear protector things yeah. on the sides, you know? <laughs> was developed from a 1979 concept art piece by Joe Johnston, one of the original um, concept artists, stop-motion animators. It's really similar in appearance to the ATAR, All-Terrain Advanced Raider, because both were developed from the same concept art. Moving on here, in episode two, they disable the artificial gravity. There is no other time in Star Wars where that happens inside a ship, right? Uh, Cad Bane in, I think, season two of Clone Wars oh. uh, uses his magnetic boots, and it's when he's yeah, I remember a bunch with of, a bunch of clones, yeah. and uh, Anakin and Ahsoka are trying to get him, mm -hmm. and he, oh. puts, he gets basically, like, all the clones start flying away, and he uses his magnetic boots to stay on the ground. Nonetheless, very rare. It's a very Star Trek thing to do. It only happens a couple times here. Episode three... They're in a transport shuttle, the ST-45 shuttle. The designation of this comes from Star Tours. When you're on the Star Tours ride, the flight number is ST-45. The speeder itself is the Star Speeder 3000. It's a different design, but the one here is the original design, apparently. I could have sworn they referenced, they said the word Star Cruiser. Really? Yeah. Maybe I've just got Star Cruiser on the brain. And the pilot of that shuttle... Pilot droid RX-24 is voiced by none other than Paul Rubens, a.k.a. Pee Wee Herman. Pretty cool. Brought him back. I mean, it's a different droid, but yeah. I mean, he's played almost all of those. Like he plays Rex in Galaxy's Edge now and the, the original yeah. Star Tours also. So I guess they all just sound like Pee Wee Herman. <laughs> uh, also in episode three on the shuttle, there's a passenger directly behind Sabine or, you know, one seat over behind Sabine who's look you know the the clothes the the headgear everything is basically straight from ralph mccory's early concept of what a jedi would look like it's uh it's hard to explain it's kind of like a wraparound headgear kind of thing no robes not very jedi as we know it at all but if you've seen that ralph mccory painting and you see this passenger you'll know right away pretty awesome you get the feeling that mccory like handed in a bunch of sketches and george lucas was like this is all wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then went back and then and then created actual Star Wars. If you listen to my Armor Party episode with Brian Muir, who is the original sculptor of Darth Vader and C-3PO and the Stormtroopers, he thinks that the reason 
Star Wars actually got funded is because the concept art was literally that awesome. Hmm. I mean, that that was part of his actual George's plan. He's like, ah, no, I got to get some uh, pictures to show him here. So he hired Ralph. Right. So it goes to show you that they're still going back to that well of Macquarie, mm-hmm. incredible insanity of how talented and wondrous his ability to illustrate things was. So We've said it before, and they're, they're doing that with Chang now. Like they're going back yeah. and reusing all his stuff from the prequel era, whatever it is. They're they're just straight up doing. I mean, in theory, like I mean, I don't know, Adam, if you've kind of done this before. We we Bayside's had parts kicking around that we didn't know what to do with, and they didn't wind up in songs until like years later. Sometimes, yeah, it's not that it's a bad design or a bad part or whatever. It just didn't fit, and then someone out of nowhere is like, "Wait a minute, you know what works? This thing." This thing yeah. that we never could figure out what works, works now. And I'm sure they're not reusing designs that they thought were bad from 10, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. It's just that they, there was something better at the time. So this runner-up idea, still kick-ass, still awesome, could now see that light of day. I think that's just art across the board, you know? Mm-hmm. You just hold on to ideas that they stick with you for a reason, and you find a place to put that puzzle piece, essentially, later. Mm. Last thing from... This shuttle, R2 mentions a secret mission, and 3PO says, what secret mission? <laughs> it's like really, really close to the A New Hope thing. It's a different mission, but it just it makes it clear that, I mean, it's just a reminder that R2 all along has been right in the thick of things. And then the final shot in episode three, speaking of, with Bale and R2, pays direct homage to Leia putting the message in R2 in A New Hope. It's that same hallway shot. He bends over and, you know, touches R2. On the front, pretty sick. Episode four, Zeb and Ezra are in a stolen TIE fighter and an Imperial officer radios to them. Zeb says, that's not the tie you're looking for. Uh, it's, a, it's a totally different tie. <laughs> nice little throwback there. The training facility in episode six is modeled after the box, the Republic training facility in the episode from the Clone Wars. That's pretty evident if you're a Clone Wars fan. I mentioned earlier the uh, episode eight, Major key Imperial March, just like in Solo. At the beginning of episode 11, there's a bar that they show up to, and the facade on the front of it, over the sign, it's made from a Clone Wars-era Republic gunship. The Lardy. You know, the gunship. You're familiar. You know, it's like at the top, like it would be like a like a swordfish or something at a seafood restaurant, mm-hmm. like, you know, in Panama City. The, the front of a Huey yeah. at the veterans bar. <laughs> exactly. And lastly, we won't go uh, deep on this, and I mentioned it earlier, but um, because we're, we're going to do a, a deeper dive on Inquisitors later, it was the 1987 source book for the Star Wars role-playing game, the first Star Wars role-playing game, where the Inquisitors came from. They were dark side users with red lightsabers, but they, they're styled much differently. They weren't, none of them were that other species. They all seem to be kind of human. But like I said, we'll go deeper on that in the next couple weeks, because there's a lot. All right, we're going to skip a certain point of view and do this instead. I love you. I know. Favorite scenes, favorite quotes, and so on. Not so much this time. We're just going to do favorite episodes because there's too much. So that's what we pulled the patrons on. Mike or Nick, who wants to go first? Give us your favorite episode or a quote if you have one. We could throw that in there too or a moment. Uh, But do favorite episode off the top. Uh, I, w- I would say, uh, I believe it's episode 10, just the, the first time they go to that 
temple on Lothal. I feel like that's the first time that in the show that you feel connected to like the larger universe and you feel like it's uh, the Jedi path for Ezra is heading somewhere. I mean, he gets his crystal and kind of just has that pretty important moment as a force user potentially becoming a Padawan where you have your your vision and all that. So uh, I just really enjoy that. And also you get Yoda not physically showing up, but you hear his voice. So I'll go with that. That's my favorite episode for sure. Mike? So I have a confession. Uh, I actually watched Rebels before I finished, like really got into Clone Wars. Interesting. When I was in my depths of late 2019, really trying to connect with Star Wars more because I just kind of fallen in love with Galaxy's Edge and there were all these like references to animated stuff that I didn't really know about. I watched, I started watching Rebels and honestly the only reason why is because there were four seasons versus all seven of Clone Wars or Mm -hmm. six of Clone Wars at the time. So when you had the reveal like Ahsoka Tano and there were just these things that were going on, like I didn't really feel the weight of them, which I could imagine if you're watching Rebels for the first time, after thinking Clone Wars was done, seeing Ahsoka on screen in Rebels would have been a like profound moment. Like, oh my gosh, we're going to continue her story. is incredible. What I really love about Rebels is that Clone Wars, in a lot of ways, was still patching together the pretty poor reception to Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, maybe patched up for some people by Revenge of the Sith. But all in all... It was still very, there were a lot of decisions that were still very different from the Star Wars that we had known and loved. And so I think Rebels was so much closer to A New Hope and to the original trilogy. I loved this series in so many ways because it felt more like Star Wars that I grew up with, that I protected, versus a lot of people were getting into the clones and I you know, I was just, I was just in a different headspace at that point. So I do have a lot of love for Rebels in a lot of ways for that reason. I don't know if I have necessarily a favorite episode, but for me, anytime, I mean, just the establishing shots of Ezra Bridger, Sabine being this like painted artistic Mandalorian that like spray paint stuff, I think just establishing and probably Spark of Rebellion to me is like, whoa, this is different. So I think I'm going to say the first two episodes are like, very vibrant to me still. I got love for Rebels. Nice. Do you want Adam to edit out that you didn't watch Clone Wars first? <laughs> you, you literally said that into the microphone, brother. <laughs> no. You know what? Everyone's on their own Star Wars journey. This is true. You put it all out there. <laughs> Dude, the first time I, w- I didn't even attempt to watch Clone Wars until like The Force Awakens came out and I was like, nope. So kind of the same thing, you know? Like it just didn't click with me until I tried it at the right time. But mind you also... Like until Disney Plus put all that stuff there, mm-hmm. it was kind of a junk show to get through. I yeah. mean, it was on Netflix and all that. Like, yeah. truly, I give a lot of credit to Disney Plus for putting that entire catalog on there mm-hmm. because I wasn't about to go through and watch Cartoon Network. I'm not going to download Cartoon <laughs> Network's app yeah. and like, I'm not going to watch like, you know, this this part of Netflix. Like, we don't have season four of Netflix. Oh, you know, <laughs> yeah. there's just so much stuff that was going on. And Truly, like 2019 when D-plus launched, that's kind of when I dove into a lot of this stuff. So, hey, go ahead. Put it on the internet. A lot of patrons in the chat are saying similar things right here. Yeah. I mean, it's it's. I think it's a very common thing, you know? Like, yeah. really what happened was Disney bought Star Wars and The Force Awakens really was the spark to 
kind of be like, there were some other things I missed. Star Wars isn't going away. I need to catch up. You know, like I need to read some books, comics, watch this animation Mm -hmm. if I really want to get the bigger scope. So I'm sure it's a very common road we all went down. For sure. My favorite episode in this first season, it's a close, I was going to say it's a tie, but there is a winner. The the close runner up, second place for me is episode 10, Path of the Jedi, just like you, Nick. Because I I always love that Jedi Temple stuff. I love the force, uh, you know, speaking through the force to other Jedi kind of thing and that that the world between worlds tease it's so dope and anything that's kind of scary and emotional like a, a force vision where you know anything that harkens back to that dagobah cave love it that said the season finale the combination of it feeling so star wars in that space battle and then the great lightsaber battle that felt very duel of the fates and then ahsoka at the end I mean, I, I finished my rewatch 15 minutes before we started recording. I got teared up again when Ahsoka showed up. Mm-hmm. So hands down, it's the finale for me. Favorite episode. We pulled the patrons, like we mentioned earlier, on what their favorite episode was, and they left some comments as well. So before we read the results, Nick, what did the patrons have to say? Well, well, well. I'm going to say appropriately, Kevin Doom said he couldn't easily pick his favorite show just does so well being in universe that if cut together it could easily be a long format a film it was hard to pick between empire day and fire across the galaxy ultimately episode 15 because it was such a strong ending to the season and introduces the ghost crew to a larger rebellion and then rob white says path of the jedi for sure but fire across the galaxy was a close second just too bad that the Grand Inquisitor dipped out so soon. Retweet. All right, let's get these results from the poll. As you may suspect, the winner of the Patreon poll for favorite episode in season one of Rebels is episode 15, Fire Across the Galaxy, with 41%. Second place, with 16% of the vote, is episode eight, Empire Day. And then, you know, another three or four, tied for third, with 8%. We're on the same page, kids. Yeah. We're friends. (laughs) All right, let's wrap it up because we did go long. We're going to do a quote of the week because we're back to covering stuff, and uh, that's our old format, and we like it. Mike, you want to be the guy? I can fill in for Ryan in this regard, too. You got to do his voice, though. Yeah. If all I do is try, that means (laughs) I don't truly believe that I can succeed. Kanan Jarrus. Nailed it. (laughs) I don't think it sounded like Ryan, but I liked it. (laughs) <laughs> I, I'm like I don't know what do I do put it like going an octave I don't up know. I, I don't I know what's truly, going on I, if you asked me to do the same I would have no clue but I appreciate the effort <laughs> he does sit in the pocket a little bit I could try it again let's try this if all I do is try that means I don't truly believe that I can succeed Kane and Jarrus slash Ryan Key slash Michael Scott love it I'll say this you, you sound as much like Ryan as Nick sounds like George Lucas uh, what do you mean? Uh, yeah, this is this is George Lucas. Just a little bit of Bill Clinton in there. Just a little dash. I also play the saxophone. <laughs> oh boy, I love <laughs> I love you guys. I love Star Wars. Love you. So, if you listener want to vote on seasons two, three, and four, and every other thing we have coming up, and get all the other things that you get as a patron, you can go to Patreon.com/slash/ThankTheMakerPod to do that. Exclusive merch, Discord access, good times, great oldies. Clue 103, (laughs) local radio station, shout out, Uh, rest in peace. 
that's it though. We're going to wrap it up. We're going to get the hell out of here. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, we are at thank the maker pod on Instagram and TikTok. We're at thank the maker on Twitter. All of my stuff is at Adam, the skull. All of my social media is at Nick Bayside. Episode number 42 of the radio radio show is out right now. My finger still hurts. And also, actually, that's a lie. My finger is still busted. It does not hurt at all. And also from right now through Sunday, Bayside put out a Star Wars themed shirt that is going to be delivered in time for you to wear it on May the 4th. So it's pretty simple. Just says like it's kind of like Empire Strikes Back logo, but just says Bayside is a cult. So pick that up. Be cool on May the 4th. And you can find me as the host of Armor Party Podcast, which has a new episode dropping likely this week by the time you're listening to this. It's a very long conversation, but it's very good with the probably most clone-specific, one of the most important armor makers in the fandom, Kevin Weir of Imperial Surplus. It's a great conversation. We talk a lot about how he got started, what it's like actually working for Lucasfilm on things, Uh, So check that out at Armor Party Show on Instagram and find my other side hustle, Honda Supplies, where many people know me. And we're going to open up a shop here soon, which is great because I know a lot of people need stuff for celebration. And speaking of celebration. Hey. Lay it on them. So Mosh Eisley is our after party, our Star Wars themed emo night, essentially. We're doing the Saturday of uh, that weekend, Star Wars Celebration. Don't press me for the date. May 28th. Saturday. May May 28th. 28th. There we go. At Chain Reaction, a famous punk rock club in Orange County, just a few miles from the convention center. It's going to be a rager. Take some ride share, Uber, Lyft, get a van full of people, whatever it is. There will be just, I feel like I've seen some people ask this question because Chain Reaction used to be a dry venue. It is not a dry venue, but they don't have hard alcohol, just beers, seltzers, things like that. So we're going to get drunk, but it's going to happen. Not too drunk where we're doing shots. Yeah, not too sideways. And if you want more Star Wars podcast action, Princess and Scoundrel is the third in the Thank the Maker Network. That's all about Disney and Star Wars Park going. Great podcast. And um, those are our our buddies. You should check them out. It is uh, at Princess and Scoundrel Show on Instagram and TikTok, right? Yes. There it is. Check it out. Dudes, thanks for hanging. Patrons, thank you so much for being here. Ryan, finish your house, man. And until next week... May the force be with you.